0: Romans 16, beginning at the first verse. Let's listen together to this word the Lord speaks to us. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Synchreia, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apollos, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord greet Trifena and Triphosa who have labored in the Lord greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine greet Asencretis Phlegon Hermes Patribus Hermes and the brethren who are with them greet Philologus and Julia Nereus and his sister and Olympus And all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss, the churches of Christ greet you. Note that summary exhortation in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss, the churches of Christ greet you. May the Lord bless this reading and our hearing of his word this evening. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't pretend to be a voyeur who is able to read people's minds, but I suspect maybe one or two of you were, among other things, asking, is he going to get the names right? Who are these people? Is this really a passage worthy of a sermon? The book of Romans, of course, is a much loved epistle. And certainly in a Reformed church, not a few sermons have been preached from some or another portion of the earlier chapters of the book of Romans. But maybe there was a person or two among us who was saying, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on a text like greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. What on earth is Dr. Venema going to be proposing this evening? Well, I'm not going to answer the question right up front. I hope to get to it along the way. But I would like to propose to you that all of God's Word is God-breathed and is therefore profitable for instruction. And this is a passage that comes in the latter part of Paul's epistle, and he does in this epistle as he does in many of his epistles. He starts with a wonderful description of what God has done for us. The grace of God toward us in Christ Jesus, and in this epistle, particularly the grace of our free acceptance and right standing with God upon the basis of the righteousness of another, the righteousness of Christ that is embraced and received by the empty hand of faith alone. But he does, of course, in chapter 12, take a turn. And this is part of that section in the epistle, all of which is under the rubric, Therefore, brothers, sisters, in view of God's great mercy and grace toward us in Christ Jesus, offer your bodies, yourselves, to God as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual worship. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing in this section at the end of the letter is granting to us an exhortation and how we can, in gratitude to God, live out of His grace and mercy in the way we greet, recognize, and show affection one to the other in the household of faith the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have it on good authority. No less a preacher than the golden mouth, Chrysostom, said this passage in the letter is a particular treasure. So I'm not the first to suggest the same. It is a treasure. I read and heard not long ago that among the books after the Scriptures, and perhaps the confessions, and maybe if you're an office bearer, the church order, the most important book that you should have great familiarity with in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly if you're a pastor or an elder, and it's the church directory. The church directory. No less than five times in the New Testament do we find this kind of exhortation to greet one another by name in the Lord with a kiss. Paul does it four times. The Apostle Peter does it, but he calls it the kiss of love, which is a redundancy because the kiss is a symbol and a sign of brotherly, sisterly affection among the saints, among those who belong together as brothers and sisters, to one house, having one Lord, one elder brother, indwelt of one spirit, and naming one God and Father of us all. You could say that this is in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, our text and passage, a word of exhortation that is a kind of household rule. I'm sure you boys and girls and young people live in homes where there are certain no-nos and certain yes-yeses. Things to be done, things not to be done. Well, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it seems clear that among those things that are to be done is that we greet one another by name, which requires that we know each other's names to the extent possible, and that we do so with appropriate affection and recognizing and noting with gratitude those who are with us, members of this household, this family. Now, having said all of that, I'd like us to look at the passage under two headings. First of all, we're going to do a quick run over verses 1 through 15, which provide us what I would call an apostolic example of what is in the second place given us at the end, an apostolic exhortation. Now, choose my language deliberately, I call it an apostolic example and an apostolic exhortation because this is not pious opinion. I've lived long enough to have heard in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ some things said by the Apostle Paul described as, well, that's apostolic opinion. It's not normative for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the apostles, when they write under inspiration and in the name and authorization of the Lord Jesus Christ, they do not offer any opinions. They're stand-ins. Even as God the Father sent the great Apostolos, Apostle Jesus Christ, so Christ has sent these Apostles... To speak to us. So you could say that what we have in the passage is both an example and an exhortation that comes directly from Christ Himself. This is what would please Him. That we would go and do likewise. But let's look together then at what the Apostle Paul does. Now, I'm not going to run through this in any sort of a way that would give you knowledge regarding all of the persons whom he names by name. He doesn't greet them as nameless persons. There are no less, actually, in this passage than 33 names. And if you read commentaries on Romans 16, you'll discover that even the best among them are not able to tell you very much, if anything, about some of the names in the list. But it's particularly significant to me that Paul doesn't just say in a generic general throw, a kind of broadside over the whole congregation, greet the friends. Now he actually, and he doesn't seem to be sort of inhibited by our usual excuse for not encouraging one another by name. Well, what if I miss someone on the list and they're offended? Well, apparently he's willing to take the risk. He actually names names. He identifies particular persons. And in the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ congregation, there are no nameless persons. I know it's a silly little example, but I can remember when my pastor was first serving our congregation. We love our pastor. This is not a criticism, but he kept mispronouncing our youngest daughter's name. Called her Caroline, and she's Carolyn. And finally I I called him aside, and I said, by the way, uh, her name is, I knew it was a little disturbing to her, her name is Carolyn. Carolyn. Oh, I'm glad you told me, he said. I'll try to remember that the next time I mention her or talk with her. Uh, We prize our names. And even the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just some little non-gospel-like word that is spoken by the Apostle. He's always a minister of Christ. He's a minister of the Good Shepherd. You know, of course, that in John 10 that great discourse of our Lord regarding the Good Shepherd who lays down His life, not for nameless persons, but those who are His sheep. And He says very specifically that He knows them by name. And not only that, they know Him. When they hear His voice, the voice of their shepherd, they recognize His voice and they respond to Him. Maybe that's why the same Good Shepherd in Revelation 2 verse 17 says to the church to whom he writes in Asia Minor that to those who overcome, those who remain steadfast in their Christian pilgrimage and walk, he will give them a white stone with a new name written on it known only to Him. It's an endearing, beautiful representation of the love with which our Lord Jesus Christ loves and knows by name and cares for all those who belong to Him as precious, blood-bought, purchased members of his flock. And the Apostle Paul knows this too. And so he greets them all by name. But not only that, notice that among them, 24 of the names were in the church to which this letter was sent. And of those 24 names, 17 of them are men, but no less than 7 of them Our women. And of the women mentioned by name, the Apostle Paul is also often speaking of the work, the labor, the contribution that they had made. They worked hard for me and for the work of the gospel in which I was engaged. Commentators will also tell you that among these names, these 33 names, 24 of them from Rome, 17 of the men, 7 women, there are some who were probably of a higher rank, perhaps even within the imperial court in Rome, serving the emperor in positions of relative prominence, people of Broader reputation and rank and even, as was apparently true of Phoebe, the first woman mentioned in the chapter, persons who had means with which to support financially the work of the gospel. Others of them we're no doubt like those of whom Paul speaks in chapter 12 when he says, you're not only to pay respect to those of prominence in the congregation, but those who are oftentimes overlooked, who are on the periphery, who are on the outskirts, who are not front row and center, thought to be VIPs in the congregation. Persons of lesser rank, persons of less prestige, but nonetheless precious to Christ's Apostle Paul and to the Lord in whose name he speaks. Now, I could go on and say more, but let me just call your attention to a couple of rather controversial features in this particular litany of names. I've mentioned just a moment ago that the first mentioned is none other than Phoebe, our sister, says Paul, who is a servant, a diakonos of the church in Cenchrea. And then he goes on to try describe her as a patron of the gospel, a woman of means, some conjecture that she may well have been the person who had brought as courier the letter of the Apostle Paul to Rome. That's speculation. But what of that language, a servant, literally the word is diakonos, deacon. Now I have to be very quick to point out something very significant. The word deacon, diakonos, or some form of that word, is a very, very commonly employed term in the New Testament. All of God's people are servants. Servants. They're all granted ministries or services. Same word in 1 Corinthians 12, whether male or female. Only three times in the New Testament is the word deacon used for what we would call an ordained servant. Our deacons, for example. And that's in Titus 1 and in 1 Timothy 3 twice. So it is a resting of the text to a purpose undiscoverable in the text to suggest that, while Paul here is in a backhanded sort of way providing some kind of testimony that women should serve in the ordained office. I know I'm walking here in uh, difficult terrain in what might be called thin ice. I should say this when I'm in Pella. I was once a student at Pella Christian High School, and our math professor was known affectionately as the Bear. And he got that name for a reason. He was an intimidating fellow, and he once said to me, Venema, you are treading on thin ice. Well, I hope I'm not on the thinnest of ice here. I'm not proposing. I'm arguing against the misappropriation of the text for a particularly modern agenda. However, I hasten to add, though it's not a passage that supports the ordination of women to ordained office in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a passage that reminds us, with respect to Phoebe, but also respect, with respect to the other women mentioned, that they too are in full communion indwelt of the same Spirit, workers and laborers in the same gospel calling, and they're not to be discounted or marginalized in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul cherishes the men as well as the women who employed their gifts in service to Christ's church and ministry, Uh, in Rome as well as elsewhere. Now let me, while we're on this particular subject, mention as well a couple of figures identified in the passage, also of similar, shall we say, controversy. Verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now, it so happens that the form of the name Junia is likely feminine. Not necessarily. It could be a shorthand for Junias, the form of the name, if it were, a man. And she is, or he not entirely clear is called one who is regarded or known among the apostles, who are of note, it says, among the apostles. But here, too, there are those who will say, well, you see, if a woman could be in Junia were a woman, an apostle, we have more evidence possibly to support the notion that a woman could be an office bearer in Christ's church. The argument is too quick. It's the same kind of sleight of hand that you have with respect to verse 1. The word apostle is not a word exclusively used for the twelve. It's also a word used in various places. I could give you two texts. I won't read them. You can jot them down and see for yourself. Second Corinthians 8 verse 23. And Philippians 2, verse 25, both of which speak of apostles who were not among the twelve apostles who laid the foundation, Ephesians 2.20, of the New Covenant Church. And the language, even of the New King James translation, bears it out. They are, it's translated, messengers. That's the basic meaning. Just as the word deacon means a servant, the word apostle... I happened to be in in Muir Woods in California not long ago, and lo and behold, they have a plaque engraved on one of the great trees, and it speaks of how an apostle of the United Nations in the aftermath of World War II had spoken on that site about some or another subject. But what caught my attention was the person in question was denominated an apostle. Now, here again, I make the same comment I made earlier. Not only is the apostle calling out by name particular, specific persons whom he identifies, but both men as well as women who were cherished by him and regarded by him with great Christian affection as those who had labored with him in the cause and in the project of the gospel. Now you say, Dr. Venema, that's all very interesting, but what does it have to do with you and me? Well, let's come then to the second thing. Notice the concluding after the Apostle's example exhortation verse 16 at the end of the list he says greet one another with a holy kiss the churches of Christ greet you what is the apostle Paul commending he's commending to the church in Rome and to the church in Pella the covenant United Reformed Church that this be a place where we know each other in the Lord and we care about each other enough to, to the extent. I know congregations vary in size. Your congregation's a large congregation. So it's not likely to be possible. Don't think for a moment I'm saying you have to know everyone's name. Not my point. But it is my point to say, these people are important. They all have names. They have a place among God's congregation, the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ with you. And if they are precious to the Lord who loves and cares for each one and knows them by name, they are dear to Him, they should be so also to you. You might want to try to learn. I do say this to my students in the course of their studies in seminary. I do teach doctrinal studies but a few practical words of exhortation I said a good test of a shepherd is that he knows the names of the sheep for whom he cares and you must do your best and to the extent possible here's a real test I say to them do you know even the names of the little children now you don't want to fake it My father would tell me the story of a certain pastoral friend of his who made it a practice when he was in a group gathering. He'd see someone he was supposed to know, but he didn't, or had forgotten their name. He'd say, Rich, who is that over there? And he'd say, well, that's so-and-so. And And then he'd rush across the room with a smile on his face and with a hearty handshake would greet them by name as though he remembered it. I he didn't actually. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a genuine, heartfelt interest in each other in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in our culture, our society, I'm told that suicide rates are skyrocketing, particularly among younger people and certain categories of persons. And it coincides, I don't make a causal effect relationship necessarily, but there's certainly a correlation with the isolation. Everybody's texting out like crazy and all kinds of other means of communication, but they haven't any real friends whom they know by name and whom they cherish from the heart. Not so in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an oasis It ought to be in that kind of wilderness. No one comes among us and stays long, remaining nameless. Not if Christ knows them, so ought we. That's the sense. You see, greeting one another with a holy kiss in Paul's day means to greet each other in a way that acknowledges both the particular identity of the other by name, but with a special kind of regard and affection in the Lord. You know how that goes, don't you, when things are not going well in family relationships and in interpersonal within the congregation relationships. You're walking in the aisle in the grocery store and they see you and they're off in another direction. That is a terrible thing. It ought not to be. I understand it. We live in a sinful world and we're all sinners. But it ought to be our heartfelt desire that in this church of the Lord Jesus Christ we seek to know each other as best we can and to know each other by name and to greet one another with appropriate affection. Because you see, my... My point here is that you needn't, as a matter of fact, I would recommend strongly that you not literally kiss one another. Certainly in this particular cultural moment in our country that could most easily be misconstrued and not a particularly clear testimony or witness. But we are people, aren't we, who are oftentimes a little less expressive as it relates to our affection one for another. You know, there's an old paraphrase of this verse by Phillips. I don't know if you're familiar with Phillips' paraphrase. I'm not an advocate of paraphrases, but I think he captures a bit of wisdom when he renders it this way. Give one another a warm, hearty handshake all around for my sake. And if you'll permit me an illustration as it relates to the kiss, certainly in Paul's day and context, that was the way it still is. If you go to Eastern Europe or if you go to the Middle East, don't be surprised if you get a double peck, first on one cheek and then on the other. That's the way they show. Now, many of us are a bit of Northern European background, and so we have to know each other pretty well Uh, even our handshake is a bit tepid and from a distance. And the hug is a little bit of the half hug. Uh, You have to know your mother-in-law for 20 years before you can give a hearty hug. And when she's on her deathbed, she gives you a big kiss with what strength she's got left. I was in... Among my travels, once upon a time in the country of Korea, and I know this is a little politically incorrect, could be taken up badly. I apologize if I offend anyone, but uh, we were going to have our pictures taken. The president of the seminary where I was visiting and myself. That sounded fine to me. So, okay, we'll take a picture. He takes my hand. That's okay. But after the picture is taken, he doesn't let loose. That's okay. Okay. But after five minutes of walking around, it's not okay. It's not okay. Okay, that's that's. I don't want to carry on in this fashion. It's an illustration, brothers and sisters, of the norm is what you're interested in. Not the form in which that exhortation norm is effected or manifest among us. The point isn't that you have to go around kissing other brothers and sisters. The point is you have to find appropriate ways. And a hearty, warm affection expressed in a handshake may well be that form that answers to the norm for the conduct of God's people, those who belong together, to the household of faith. That's what the text is suggesting. And now I'm an interloping pastor, so this is not a word in season in the sense that, well, I know something about the Covenant United Reformed Church that chose, drove me to select this text. Not so. I find it a very fascinating text for any congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ to contemplate in our day. And I would just say to you in the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and echoing the Apostle Paul, may this be a place, may this be a congregation that cultivates the kind of brotherly, sisterly communion and fellowship where we are important to each other, the women as well as the men. And they make valuable, precious, recognized contributions to our life together. That's another thing I say to my students. We Reform folk aren't real good at the gift of encouragement. So let me challenge you as a minister to be a minister known as a minister of encouragement. You'll find a lot of encouragement in the New Testament for that kind of ministry. To stir one another on to love and good works. To exhibit in the congregation an affection for each other that by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ will be contagious and will shape And form us more and more according to the desire of our Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows You by name and cares about You in a very particular and special way in His mercy and grace. Amen. Our Father in heaven, may we as a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as brothers and sisters together, indwelt of Christ's Spirit, may we cultivate in our relations one with another, even in the way we greet and extend the hand of warm greeting to one another, that we care about and are aware of, we take notice, we recognize, We cherish one another in the Lord. for we know that this pleases you, and this accords with your holy will for your dear congregation, whom you purchased, for whom you laid down your own life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.